Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked this down. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Well, so thrilled to catch up with convert Keith Nestor. You're going to love Keith's stories and insights and his love for the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Catholic Church. And the timing of the release of this episode is is really good because it's going to be close to August 15th, which is the feast day of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary into Heaven. So back in 1950, Pope Pius XII declared that the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary to be a dogma in the Church. And that is the belief that when the Blessed Virgin Mary's life on earth ended, her body was taken, body and soul, into Heaven. What a beautiful dogma, what a beautiful truth and the Catholic Church that we believe in, and uh, what a beautiful visual, too, of Jesus crowning his mother as the Queen of Heaven and Earth. And I'm not sure what your diocese does, but in my home diocese, uh, the Archdiocese of Edmonton, we have a, a fantastic pilgrimage, August 14th and 15th, to commemorate the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary at the Skiro Shrine. So it's an outdoor shrine built by Slavic pioneers, both Polish, Ukrainian, a beautiful shrine that they have. And the bishop comes out every year on August 14th to say mass. We pray the rosary. There's a whole bunch of confessions that are heard as well as many of the priests come. And there's literally thousands of people that show up for this. So if you're ever in Alberta during August 14th and 15th, please come visit us and come say hello. This has been a annual pilgrimage for me as well. Uh, since I was a very, very young man. So uh, look forward to seeing you there if you're from Alberta. And if you ever want to make a a trip out to Wild Rose Country, that's a great time to come by, August 14th through 15th. And I hope your diocese does something similar as well in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the great things that she does for us in the church, leading us towards Jesus. And as that miracle of Cana was, right, at at the wedding, the wedding feast of Cana, where Jesus performed his first public miracle, well, that was at the prompting of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And he just she just says, hey, just do whatever he tells you to. I think that's beautiful. And that's what she does for us today. Do whatever Jesus tells us to. And she's always there encouraging us and petitioning for us right before Jesus at all times. So beautiful. So, hey, I know you're here for the conversation with Keith Nestor. It was a lot of fun, and he has so many great insights and great stories to tell, and so blessed to call him a brother in Christ. So without further ado, let's get into our chat with Keith Nestor. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Keith Nestor is a former youth pastor and a pastor with more than 20 years of full-time ministry experience. And in 2017, after that 20-year-long discernment process, Keith resigned from his full-time ministry position and joined the Catholic Church. And now as the director of Down to Earth Ministries, Keith continues to use his preaching gifts to speak to audiences about faith, theology, and his fantastic journey to Catholicism. Keith also creates content on YouTube and his podcasts, Unpacking the Mass and Catholic Feedback are available. Keith's newest book, Unpacking the Mysteries of the Rosary, is a helpful guide to praying the rosary, and I think we could all use some helpful tips when it comes to prayer with the rosary. Most importantly, he is a family man and our brother in Christ. Keith Nestor, welcome to the Great White North and the Catholic Connect podcast. Thank you, David. It's an honor for me to be here. It's an honor to talk to you. It really is, Keith. Thanks for everything that you're doing, and uh, uh, welcome to the Catholic Church. I know it's been five years, and uh, and I but welcome to you, and uh, thanks for all the great work you're doing in the Catholic Church, too. Um, you know, I always say 
nothing hinders evangelization worse than a bad example. And we've got plenty of bad examples, it seems, in our church today. But thanks for being a good example and providing such oh, well, a fantastic testimony for us. Everything, you know, glory to God and by God's grace. You know, when I think of the Great White North, I just can't help it. You know, I'm sure you guys get sick of this, but I grew up in the 80s. So for me, it's all about Bob and Doug McKenzie, you know, and and the Great White North and Strange Brew was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. So I always I always think about that. Um with with Canada and um but I'm also like I love I love uh I love um I love the band Rush too so they're all Canadian so I'm like you know I could probably be a Canadian at heart if I if I ever had the chance to get up there so many other great Canadian uh you know uh song uh, folks as well think of Justin Bieber as well I mean that was our gift to the world as well Keith so let's not forget <laughs> about guys like that you know uh, to each his own to each <laughs> his, his own, own. <laughs> I, I I will say nothing about that <laughs> fair enough fair enough but it's no, great to be with you. I'm, I'm I'm honored that you asked me to come on. And and um yeah, it's been man, it's been more than five years now. It's been I came in in 2017. So 76 years now. It's then, been eh? almost yeah. seven years. You yeah. know, and so I came in in October of 2017. Um and which is kind of a weird time to come into the church. But I didn't go through RCIA. I, I met with our priest. Mm -hmm. Just sort of we did a one on one thing for a few months, and he he kind of led me by the hand into the Catholic Church. I said I said I still like this. I have one hand on my priest, Father Christopher Podaski, and the other hand on the Blessed Virgin Mary, who was drawing me in to, to the Catholic Church, which is which is interesting because a lot of people that are converts, the the Virgin Mary is a big obstacle to the faith. And for me, it, you know, maybe it was at some point in time. I don't really remember that, but what I what I because I had this, such a long journey, you know, um, but I had some experiences with the Blessed Virgin Mary where I felt like she was able to break through that barrier that I had in my, in my head. Okay. So like, you know, when everybody's thinking about Catholicism, usually they have objections from the standpoint of things that they're thinking through, right? Well, what about purgatory? What about the saints? What about this? There's all these intellectual things that we work through. Well, what can happen is you can work through those things because there's answers everywhere. There's, it's not like the Catholic church goes, Oh, you know, we never thought about that one. I don't know. We're stumped. That That's not going to happen. You're going to get an answer. You may not like the answer, but there's an answer there. So then what happens when you get to that point where the answers are there and the objection has been answered? Now there's a different issue, David. It's now the issue of the heart. Do I have what it takes to leave behind my former life as a Protestant, especially if you're in ministry where that's like your livelihood and your whole identity? That's an issue of obedience, but it's it's like an issue of your heart. And, you know, imagine for a moment you're walking into, you're going on a journey and you approach a, a dark forest and you're told that what's on the other side is really great, but you don't know if you can get through that scary forest, right? And someone comes up to you who is is trustworthy and and amazing and says, I know the way. Trust me, I'll take you through it. Just follow, just take my hand and and it'll be okay. That's what it felt like for me with the Blessed Virgin Mary. Like, okay, this murky forest of can I actually do what I feel convicted to do, which is become Catholic? Can I do that? It's really hard. Cool. And it was like she grabbed my hand and said, just follow, just walk with me and trust me and I'll lead you through it all the way to, to the cross. And that's exactly what she did for me. It was, it's, it's been amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's so good, isn't it? When I think of, um, I guess when you go back to that that journey for you and 
maybe some of the the hangups, I guess, that that might occur. You mentioned that, you know, for some people, the Blessed Virgin Mary, especially when you're a Protestant, can be a difficult hurdle to to climb. What what does it mean, right? And I guess mm-hmm. there was that dogma. I wanted to go back to that because we're going to release this episode around the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. So this yeah. is a, a Catholic yeah. dogma that was given to us by the Church and Pope Pius Twelfth. And here's what he said. He said, quote, We proclaim and define it to be a dogma revealed by God that the Immaculate Mother of God, Mary of a Virgin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven. That, that's a... Uh, you know, pretty powerful and beautiful stuff there, Keith. Right. So, um, certainly, but you know, it's still, that's, that's a, that's a big, that's something that's pretty large because it doesn't say that specifically in the Bible. And we know that Protestants really value scripture a lot. That's a, one of the, one of the great things about a lot of Protestants that I've met is that they do uh, take a great deal of stock into scripture and what it specifically says. But maybe how do you answer that? Uh, if you're a, a Catholic now and Keith, knowing what you know now and, and how much Mary's sure. become a big part of your life. How do you kind of help people get over that hurdle? Well, it's interesting because there are some arguments in the Catholic faith that are, I would say, relatively easy to explain to Protestants because they are so focused on Scripture. Um, so things like the papacy, I think, things like confession, things like the Eucharist, these core things, you can find very strong evidence in the Scripture. The assumption is different because it's it's in scripture by more of of inference and it's more of a logical conclusion than an explicitly taught you know just boom mary was assumed into heaven okay so that is going to be problematic for some people so i don't usually start with that when i'm talking to somebody about catholicism but invariably we're going to get there so then what we'll do is we'll talk about first of all how maybe that line of thinking isn't as foreign to Protestants as they think it is. So first of all, you're going to set the stage because like, for example, the doctrine of Sola Scriptura is not explicitly taught in the Bible either. It's a doctrine of inference in the same way, the way that they claim that it is. I don't think that at all. But when you talk to a a Protestant about like the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, they're not going to point you to a verse that says specifically the Bible alone is the only source of infallible doctrine. Okay. They're going to point to you. They're going to point you to other verses that talk about the nature of the scripture and its character and what it is. Of course, they can't define what scripture is from scripture alone, so that's a different problem. But that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is how they will point to scriptures that talk about the Bible and its character and say because it is God breathed, because it is useful for correction and teaching, because the man of God can be thoroughly equipped with it. Therefore. It is, you know, the only infallible rule of faith. That's their, the way that they get there. Okay. So I want to use that same method to talk about the assumption. Okay. So because Mary is full of grace. Okay. Because Mary is seen in heaven as the queen of heaven. And, and, you know, in revelation chapter 12, because Mary is the, is the, the woman that has put an enmity between her and Satan, okay? All of these things related to really what you have to go first is talk about the Immaculate Conception because the assumption, like the Immaculate Conception is what it looks like for a human being to be fully filled with grace at the beginning of their life. The assumption is what it looks like at the end. So you you connect those two things 
by talking about that, the other thing that I will mention about that from the scriptural perspective, then there's one other perspective I'll mention also, is Mary's understanding to be the new Ark of the Covenant, which a lot of Protestants will, when you when you point out the parallels between um, 2 Samuel 6 and Luke chapter 1, they'll go, oh, wow, that's kind of cool, because Protestants love when the new fulfills the old. So they'll see that and they'll go, oh, wow, that's cool. Luke is doing that, isn't he? So when you talk about the 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 character of the Ark of the Covenant, how it was made out of wood that was incorruptible, how it was it was something that would be preserved it was very important. The box itself was very important to 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 God. And then you compare that to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and you say, okay, well, if God wanted to ensure that that this first Ark of the Covenant, which contained the the physical presence of God on Earth, you know, in one sense, was going to be revered and cared for and and honored and treated in the as the most holy thing on the planet at that point in time. How much more so would we do that to the Blessed Virgin Mary, who who contains the very flesh of God? She gives him her flesh, right? His flesh comes from her. So there's that sort of um, inference there as well that that you can point to. But the second thing I would do is talk about how, um, you know, the Catholic Church is often criticized by Protestants for their devotion to relics. Okay. So it's like, why why have all these, these goofy relics? That's super, the superstitious, weird kind of creepy thing, you know? And, you know, okay. I can buy into that. I mean, I love relics. I have some relics, but I can understand how a Protestant is going to be like, what are we doing with all these relics? And the truth is maybe there are some people that, that do weird things with relics that shouldn't be done. I don't know, but why are there no first-class relics of the most, revered saint in all of Catholicism. You know, there have never been, no one has ever claimed if the church was protecting the bones of the saints and the relics of the early saints all the way from the beginning of the church, which you can see that in history. Why has there never been anyone who has come forth officially from the church perspective and saying, Hey, we have relics first class of the blessed Virgin Mary. That that's a very powerful question to ask which and, and no fits right into church the church dedicated either right keith right? yeah, yeah specifically it fits that, right, right into the narrative mm-hmm. of of the assumption you know mm-hmm. so that's that's how i explain it to people does that always work for people no of course not you know what i've discovered is you know people are going to they're gonna everyone has an answer to everything in their own mind um but or, or a reason not to accept our answer. But the important thing is that we can give an answer, that we don't just go, oh, man, we, we're we're stumped. you know. So that's how I explain that. Kind of a long answer, but I think no, it's important a, a, a great, to, a great pump the, to get those things out. A really good answer. I think relics, uh, they're a sacramental with a small s, right? So it opens us mm-hmm. up to, to grace. But as Catholics, we have to be careful that we don't use relics or sacramentals themselves as uh, something that's superstitious. Because that's a whole yeah. other a whole other issue, right? But we have to use them and promote them with faith and knowing that they open us up to receive grace, right? And I think that's an important distinction in case anybody's wondering. You mentioned something interesting there, Keith. Um, I think uh, what you're referring to is even just the authority of the church. So yeah, the mm-hmm. first thing that people are going to ask you, probably not going to ask you too much about the Blessed Virgin Mary if you're having a discussion with another uh, non-Catholic Christian, a Protestant that has questions, right? But uh, you, you'd you gone through in your journey to when you were still a Protestant, you went through, there's a few different congregations you belong to, right, Keith? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can just touch base on that really quick because the authority of the church and how that uh, 
uh, played a role in your conversion, but what you also noticed uh, and observed when you were amongst the other congregations as well and their authority and where they got their authority from. Very, very important point, uh, because that's what it all boils down to ultimately is is the authority of the church. And I, I have this conversation frequently with with people and, and with friends of mine who are still Protestants and who are Protestants. I mean, like most of my friends are are Protestants. Like so I still have these relationships with with people. Um, so we have these conversations and it's very interesting because what will what will always come up is this idea of of what our authority is. And it always goes back to. Well, we believe the Bible is our authority. But what I try to do quickly when I have those conversations is help people to understand that what you ascribe to the Bible is really your interpretation of the Bible. So it's important to to make that distinction because all these different groups will have, at some level anyway, I'm not going to say every, every Protestant group is fundamentally different from every other Protestant group, but there are some pretty significant differences. And oftentimes what you hear from people is to say, well, like in one of the denominations that I, that I spent a lot of time in. Um, so most, most of my career was in United Methodist uh, churches and that whole situation is completely imploding because of a lack of authority really from anywhere, tradition, scripture, everything. They've basically undermined their entire authority claims so that they can, um, you, you know, create a church that in their view is more uh, with the times or whatever, but that's ripped the church to pieces. And those that are advocating for more of a, they would call it more of a traditional scriptural view of authority. They've got some problems because even though I agree with them on some of their, some of their um, stances on those particular issues, they they don't really have a good reason for it. And that's why that's what led me to become Catholic instead of just a more conservative evangelical. Um, because what I realized was if we don't have an external source of authority to help us, to help us interpret and understand the scriptures, then really we're just on a slippery slope, David. And we saw this happening in the SBC, for example, Southern Baptist Convention down here um, recently with their issue of women's ordination. So whereas the United Methodist Church is arguing over human sexuality, the SBC is over is arguing over whether or not women can be ordained pastors. But if you notice, the the argumentation is the same. It's always the the more conservative group is always appealing to the scriptures, okay? And the more liberal group is always saying your interpretation of the scripture is wrong. Okay? Now let's just let's just wrap a line around that for a second. The, the, that argument is going to be used across the board since the Reformation about every single issue. One side is going to say, well, the scripture says, the other side is going to say, your interpretation of the scripture is wrong. That happened, that started with Martin Luther, and that continues to happen. We're just changing the setting and the issue in Protestantism because there is no fundamental understanding of authority. And that to me is very problematic because I have lived in the chaos of that and seen where it goes ultimately. And when I look at the scripture, when I look at the history, when I look at, at, at Christ, I don't see that. What I see is Jesus establishing a church and that church has doctrine. It has hierarchy. It has authority and it has leaders and it's visible. 
And the, the, the job of the leaders in the hierarchy of the church is to protect the deposit of faith that Christ has given to them so that the world can know the gospel. And he's given the church its mission to go out and preach and teach the gospel. And that's an important distinction because what Christ didn't do was say, here's a book, everybody go out and figure it out on your own and preach the gospel and do all these things. Now, the book is great. We need the book. But what I'm saying is, the, the book is a product of Christ's church, right? It's the word of God, no doubt, and Aaron Fallible inspire all of that. But it's a tool that God gives to the church to, to accomplish his mission. It's not a separate thing in and of itself that dictates everything else apart from an authority. Because if that were the case, things would look a lot different. I'll give you one quick example. And, and at the First Jerusalem Council, when the church was wrestling with this issue of how to relate to these Gentile people who are becoming Christians who weren't part of the Jewish law, what do we do? Do we make them adhere to the Jewish law? Do we circumcise them? Do we bring them into full uh, a Jewish understanding before they can become Christians? And the church met together and made their declaration. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 15, I believe. Mm -hmm. And you can see what they say, which that's that's important. But what's more important is what they did with that declaration, David. They made the declaration in Jerusalem, right? St. James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, but St. Peter, the leader of all the churches, right? And, and, and then they took that decision, they wrote it down, and they sent it out to all the believers everywhere. And they said, hey, this is what we have decided. They didn't say, well, this is what we're doing over here in Jerusalem. But you guys, you guys figure it out for yourselves. You guys do what seems best to you. You guys take the Bible and come up with what makes sense. We don't want to major in the minors. We don't want to divide ourselves over, over things that are insignificant or over things that aren't essential, right? In the early church, there was no such thing as essential, non-essential. There, there just was the deposit of faith. And what we've done in, in modern society after the Reformation is, is in Protestantism, we've created these categories called essential and non-essential, right? And we've said, well, <clears throat> we can have unity in the essential, but charity in the non-essentials, right? Mm. And But here's the problem with that. We don't have a way to determine which ones are which. Because every time I talk to a Protestant about this and they say, well, we don't have to, we just have to agree on the things that all Christians have agreed about forever, the mm. essential things. And I say, well, what are those? And invariably, they start listing them, and I can start listing Christians that disagree about that. Well, salvation through faith alone. No, that's not what all Christians believe. Baptism. Well, Christians have very different views about baptism. Even the Trinity. You know, I had this conversation last weekend, and someone said, well, what about, like, you know, the Trinity? I said, have you ever met a oneness Pentecostal? They don't believe in the Trinity. Mm. Have you ever met, like, a Torah-observant Christian? A lot of them don't believe in the Trinity either. They would still say they're Christians, you know, but—, but they don't believe in in these doctrines. So, so what you see is that without the authority, you can't even determine what constitutes an essential or non-essential um, issue. You know, another example would be the canon of the scripture. You know, we have different canons, Protestantism, Catholicism, even Eastern Orthodoxy. There, someone has to definitively say, this is the canon of the scripture. And, and without that authority to say that, how can you even get there? So it is about authority, but everybody thinks it's about scripture, but they just haven't recognized that that in and of itself is an authority claim 
And without an external authority to that, it's going to be mass chaos. And it is not in many places. I see some certain elements of that even trying to creep into the Catholic Church where they think this is a democracy of some sort, like a, almost like it's a political state. You know, and we've seen right. our own politicians in North America, both in the United States and Canada, uh, talk about weaponizing democracy. Well, we've seen that a lot in the last couple of years, haven't we? Um, yeah. There is something to be said for order and what the Catholic Church is. It's it's hierarchical, just like just like it is in heaven too, right, Keith? It's no different. Uh, boy, that's so important to have that. I think that's an important thing that we could really rely on as Catholics too when we're evangelizing and we're sharing our faith with others is that we do have that order, that authority. Uh, it really grounds us when we are in those um, those instances where we need to evangelize. It really does help us, isn't it? Nice to have that in our back pocket, isn't it, Keith? I, I think so. It's been very helpful to me. Sometimes we talk about the um, you know the journey for a Protestant coming into the church, and for a Catholic leaving the Catholic Church, is usually is very very little you know uh, that's going to prevent them from from leaving. It's a very free environment here. I mean, if you you know if you don't want to be a Catholic anymore, you you leave, and usually you don't lose a lot. Well, other than Maybe losing your eternal salvation. I'm thinking more yeah, of the, the corporal thing. Yeah, that's sorry. Let's make that <laughs> distinction. Yeah, you're not you're not losing much except your salvation. But uh, I guess what I mean is like you know when it comes to your your job or your family, your friends. Um, not saying that that doesn't happen all the time. That you're going to get some sure. uh, you know some some conflict for sure. Hopefully your hopefully your family and your friends are strong enough in their faith that they're going to make it difficult for you if you want to leave. But um, big sacrifice for Protestants to take that step. Do you think there's a lot of Protestants today that, uh, you know, a lot of them can think for themselves. They've got faith already. Then they've got reason. When they look at the Catholic Church, just as you did too, Keith, and you start to, you know, kind of check those boxes. Or like, I didn't know this about the Catholic Church. I didn't know that about authority. I didn't know, you know, there's a long list of different things. But do you think there's a lot of Protestants that say, man, I'd really like to, to maybe become a Catholic, but I'm really afraid to take that step because I might have a job in my congregation right now, or I might be losing my friends. I might have a spouse that might not be yeah. on the same page as me. What would you say to to Protestants like that? Well, I talk to people like that almost weekly, David. Mm -hmm. People reach out to me through my through my website and different things, and I hear that story a lot. <clears throat> I'm I'm feeling I'm called to the Catholic faith, but there's all this stuff, and. You know, obviously I can relate to that 100% because that's what happened to me. But I can tell you this, there are, you know, like everything else in life, there's there are better ways to do things and worse ways to do things. And you have to count the cost. That's important, okay? But you also have to remember that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in a field. And Jesus says the man who discovered that treasure sold all he had to buy the field. And then in his joy, he dug up the treasure, right? Sometimes in life, you're going to have those moments as a believer in Christ. It should be often where you are faced with sacrifice and giving up yourself to follow Christ. And I would say this, as difficult as it can be and as messy as it can be, and there are, there are ways to manage that, if you have come to understand the truth of the Catholic faith, there should literally be nothing on this earth that can prevent you from becoming Catholic. There's just issues you have to deal with and, and people you have to, to help 
and situations you have to manage. But nothing should stand in your way of being united to Christ in his one holy Catholic apostolic church once you have become fully convinced. Now, if you haven't become fully convinced, then you better work on that. Um, because if you're just like, well, I'll give it a try. Hmm. Well, then if, if you haven't worked through a lot of this stuff, then you're going to have one hard conversation with your Protestant brother-in-law at Thanksgiving. And he's going to go, well, what about the Inquisition? You know, or what about the 50 million people? I get I get confused. Sometimes it's 50 million, sometimes 150 million, however many million people the Catholic Church supposedly murdered. You know, when someone throws up these these caricatured arguments, if you and I'm not saying you have to be like an apologist, but if you don't have a, a basic understanding to defend your faith and know why you're doing it, then it could be it could be easy for you to get walked right out of it. So get yourself to that place where you are convinced and then once you are, then it's just a matter of, okay, what is it going to cost me to follow Christ into his church? And am I willing to pay that cost? And the answer to that is always yes. And understand this as well. That's not just a Catholic thing. That's a discipleship of Jesus thing. Because that decision is going to replay itself in your life countless times. It's not just, oh, well, I'm Catholic, now I'm good. No. Once you become Catholic, now you're going to have decisions every day to sacrifice things to follow Christ. So if the, if you're in a spot where you're not willing to follow Jesus in anything and everything, you're really going to struggle as a Catholic. But don't don't buy into the lie that, well, if I could just become Catholic, then all my problems are going to be solved. Um, if your problem is that you don't want to obey God, then that problem is going to get worse because there's a lot more things that are put in front of you with regard to obedience as a Catholic than as, you know, most Protestants. Um, but that's going to make you more holy. That's going to make you a better disciple of Jesus. So my advice is to, to search your heart and make that decision. And then comes the part where you go, okay, now what do I do? Which is why I wrote my first book, you know, the convert's guide to Roman Catholicism, your first year in the church. It's a lot about that. How do I do this? I have a chapter called how to, you know, how to not start a holy war. And it's called coming out as a Catholic. How do you go about doing that? How do you tell your friends? How do you announce this to, to, to people? What, what should you be like? Are you, you know, um, supposed to proclaim this from the mountaintops on social media, or are you supposed to try to hide this from everybody? Like I walk through all that stuff in the book um, because that's when it gets down into the nitty gritty of everybody's different circumstance. But I will tell you this, I have seen God do incredible things with people in that situation that they never would have thought or thought possible. The grace that comes to you when you open the, the door to the Lord and you walk through it. Like I like I said, she will walk you through that. If, especially if you, hmm. if you draw near to the blessed Virgin Mary, she will walk you through that difficult time, you know, so that you can have the grace that you need to make it through. Mm -hmm. Oh, amen. That's powerful. Uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The the connection with Jesus Christ and with the Eucharist is something that it's uh, sometimes we don't talk about a lot in the Catholic Church, but there's a, a profound connection between the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Most Holy Sacrament. Absolutely. What, what I think it was Pope John Paul who if, talked about that a lot, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, what, yes. what has that meant to you, the the Holy Eucharist? Speaking of, of difficult oh. choices that people had to make, think of John 6 and all the people. Well, yeah. No difficult choices, but 
certainly one of, of uh, profound faith from the apostles to, to stay with Jesus and say, to whom shall we go to? Even if we don't really understand what you're saying right now, there's no one else that we, we can go to except you, Jesus. So we trust you. But uh, yeah, what has the Eucharist meant to you, Keith, well, in this the journey? Eu- my, my, the moment where for me it was like drop dead, am I going to do this or not, was at the foot of the Eucharist, right? So mm-hmm. like, I had been wandering through, like the Virgin Mary had led me through all this, and I felt like she led me right to this moment in time, in uh, in um, spring of twenty of twenty seventeen. So I I made the decision to become Catholic in the spring, and I came in in October, um, and it was at a mass that I went to, that was preceding a talk by a Catholic speaker, and when when I went to that that mass, I went up front to pray. To get my blessing as a, as the Eucharist was being distributed, and instead of just going back to my seat, uh, like a good Catholic, I, I just took a couple steps and I hit my knees right there in front of the the crucifix while people were receiving the Eucharist. And I, I looked up at the crucifix and I just prayed to Jesus, said, "If you want me to do this, okay, I will do this, but you have to make a way. You know, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what's going to happen." And and like from the crucifix, while the Eucharist is is being consumed by people you know, the, the Lord spoke to me from that crucifix and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't need me to make a way. You just need me. And I knew that that was about Jesus in the Eucharist. That was like, look, all these things that we seek God for as a means to an end, that's wrong. He is the end. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. So whatever gets us to the Eucharist, it, that's what that's what we need. And that's what the Blessed Virgin Mary does. Think about this for a second, David. Her her principal role is to bring the Eucharist to us, mm. right? And she physically, literally does that. The Eucharist is the flesh of Christ, the blood of Christ. Where does that flesh and blood originate from? From Mary. Mm-hmm. It originates from her flesh and blood. So she literally brings the Eucharist to us, right? And and she was bringing me to that point of, of, of realization. She's like, look, okay, Keith, here we are. Here he is. I can only get you this far. You know, she's not God. She can't, she can't con- conform our will. She can't do all that stuff. She can't, she, she's not the originator of this grace. She's the channel. So she can say, I can get you there. Now it's up to you. And I felt like she got me to that point. And that point was the Eucharist. And then it was the Lord just going, okay, let's do this. And then I had to make that that decision to do it. And, you know, I don't claim to be some great holy saint for having that point. I mean, if I was, it wouldn't have taken me 22 years. Cause that's really how long my journey, about 20 years, mm-hmm. um, how long my journey with all this has kind of been. I had a, I had a, a, a stint at this, like in the late nineties, early two thousands. And then I got totally freaked out and ran away from it and didn't think about it for 10 years, you know? And then, and then it kind of creeped back up again here and there. And then finally the last around 2015, 2016 is when it really started, started becoming clear to me, this is what I need to do before it finally happened. It wouldn't have taken me so long if I had just been, you know, half as holy as, as I wished. The first time I would have encountered this, I would have done it. But, you know, praise God, I was given that grace. Um, but the Eucharist was right there at the center of it. And the connection with the tabernacles that we would see at all of our Catholic churches. And, uh, you know, the you compared the uh, well the old testament uh, the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle that we see in our church today and the blessed virgin mary how she brings jesus to us man that's that's a great great visual i, I love that Keith. thank you so much for that that's really good um living life in a state of grace you know when you become a catholic it really becomes it's just a way of life isn't it like it's just 
something you got to do every day. It should be, right? If you want to be a a good practicing Catholic that wants to be on fire for your faith, you want to share it with others as well. But we need to be in a right relationship with God first, right, Keith? And of course, uh, devotion to the the saints and the Blessed Virgin Mary, that helps us. But um, I know for one thing, when it goes to, comes to confession and reconciliation, um, one thing I suggest to our listeners, and I know it helps me, is, is asking the Blessed Virgin Mary to help you when you're doing an examination of conscience before you go to confession. You already mentioned how Mary leads us to Jesus, right? And and uh, coming to the sacrament of healing when you go to, to confession and reconciliation, asking the saints, but also asking the Blessed Virgin Mary to help you to make a good confession. Uh, is that something that you do, Keith? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think, I think going to confession is that opportunity to, to write your course. You know, when when you've gotten off course, that's the that's the the means by which we're reconciled back to God uh, through our through our disobedience and our sin. And yeah, you know, the, I mean, the, the Book of Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us throw off the sin that so easily encumbers us, you know? So, so this, this cloud of witnesses that, that is an example to us and is an encouragement to us helps us in that running the race that St. Paul talked about. I have run the race. I've, 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 you know, finished my, my life in this way. We can't, we can't do that on our own and we need each other, both the saints in heaven and, and, the saints here on earth. We need people who can can help us to do that. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. The rosary. When did it become a big part of your life, Keith? When when did that yeah. uh, you know um, that devotion become something real to you that you wanted to uh, make a part of your everyday life, your everyday devotional life with Christ, but also to share it with others? When did that happen for you? Well, I started praying the rosary pretty regularly. Um, in the spring of 2017, as I was kind of working towards conversion, I was, I wasn't like a real big rosary guy before that. I wasn't, you know, cause I was still kind of working my way through a lot of things. And I heard a talk by father Calloway that a lot of people have heard, you know, about his, when he, when his book champions, of the rosary came out and listening to his story and share about the road, it kind of challenged me because I was going through a really difficult period in my life. Um, in, a, in addition to getting ready to blow up my whole world and quit my job and leave the, leave my career, my mom was dying of pancreatic cancer. So my family was in a lot of pain and turmoil. And I was, I was looking for anything that would help me, um, bring, bring comfort to myself in that, you know, and, and prayers and things like that. So when, when I heard that talk, I was just like, okay, I'm going to start doing this. So I started praying the rosary back in the spring of 2017 and I just downloaded an app. Um, I, I struggled with it at church sometimes because sometimes when I would go to mass and people would pray in the rosary before mass, it was, it was, it was done in a way that didn't really help me. You know, there would be other, some people who would be like just super fast through it. And it just felt like really robotic. Mm-hmm. And that just triggered me mm-hmm. to kind of like, go, okay, I don't want that. I don't want a robotic sort of getting, and I'm not judging those individuals for, for how they pray it. I'm just saying for me, it felt too rushed mm-hmm. and, and whatever. So I'm like, all right, I need to do this on my own. So I started praying the rosary on my own around then. Well, 
I continued to do that pretty much daily. I don't want to say I did it every day, but pretty much daily for a couple years. Um, and then when the pandemic started, I was coming out of my church. We had like our, everybody's parishes got shut down. I think like March 17th of 2020. And I, I just went on YouTube and did a quick live stream and it was like, Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, this is pretty crazy. What's going on? You know? And somebody in that live stream said, Hey, Keith, can we pray the rosary on your channel tomorrow together? Will you lead us? I'd never led the rosary before I'd been asked. And I always said, no, I'll mess it up. I'm not, you know, I'm not qualified to do that, but I thought, okay, I'll give this a try. If it's, you know, if I'm sitting at my computer, I can have it pulled up. I can make sure I don't mess it up. Um, versus just being on the spot, like at a prayer meeting or something like that. So I, I agreed to do it. And the next day, March 18th, 2020, we did a live stream and a couple hundred people showed up live to pray the rosary with me. Mm. And we just started doing it. And I said, okay, well, I'll do this for the first 14 days of the pandemic, you know, until this is all over. That's what we thought it was going to be, you know, and long story short, we've never stopped. Um, we've been doing the rosary every single day on YouTube since March 18th, 2020. So now we've got basically an entire ministry devoted to praying the rosary. We've got our sep we've got a separate YouTube channel called rosary crew with Keith Nestor. We've got our own Facebook page. We've got a web part of our website is devoted to that. We've got people from all over the world, 80 countries now, mm. and thousands of people every day that pray the rosary. And so it's literally, I'm not kidding, every single day since March, starting March 18, 2020, I have led an online rosary. And honestly, I couldn't imagine not praying the rosary every day. I can imagine not leading a live stream every day because that does become <laughs> kind of a a deal sometimes, but I love it. And it's been, an, it's been an amazing thing. And that's what's led my wife and I to like, we sold our, we had a business that we had started, um, together a few years ago. And, 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 um, we sold all that and bought this motor home, the little sprinter van motor home. It's, it's a, just a van. And we travel around the country meeting with different people from our rosary crew. Hmm. And then we'll live stream that from the road and we go all over the place. We, 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 um, we have a blast with it. That's so great. Something so, nice you could do with your wife too. That's fantastic, isn't it? We have a great time with it because we're a little bit, you know, our kids are older, moved out. Yeah. So we don't have, you know, I mean, our daughter's technically living here until she gets married in a couple of weeks, but, but basically they're, they're on their own. Um, but, um, you know, it's been, it's been awesome. We, we absolutely love it. And the thing I love about it so much has been to see the community that, ha that forms around the rosary. I love that about being a Catholic, mm. that our community isn't just limited to people who are just like us. Right. Um, like a lot of Protestant situations, it kind of feels that way. You know, churches mm. are formed around a particular subset of the culture. Mm. So you have a, a church that's formed around, you know, people like this kind of music. So that church right. just does that kind of music. So the only people that go there are people who like that kind of music or mm. this style of preaching or that type of demographic in society. Whereas Catholic churches are just Catholic. And I know that there are some that are more, you know, maybe ethnocentric or whatever, or they're more regional, different things. But um, by and large, every Catholic everywhere, you know, you're going to find people that love to pray the rosary. So when we show up to a parish to pray the rosary or a park or wherever we wind up when we're traveling, we'll see, you know, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, yes. 
contemporary, traditional, you know, what, like the whole cross section is united together in prayer, which I absolutely love that because I think that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I think yes. that's what heaven's going to be like too. So we get a little piece of that here on earth because of the rosary. That's profound. I I'd often tell people that aren't Catholic that if you really want to see what, uh, using the, the words of the world of, uh, diversity and inclusion and all this kind of thing, I said, if you really want to see that, I said, come to a Catholic church, you go to a, Maybe go to the Basilica in your main city. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to see everybody there. Yeah, you're going to see yeah. a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of different languages. You're going to see young. You're going to see old. You're going to see poor. You're going to see wealthy people. You're going to see everybody there because that's what the church is. It it It's for everyone. And that's interesting that you see how the, the rosary really unites. It's really true because it's it's such a devotion that's not only across America and Canada, but also around the world. It's a, a, a fantastic devotion. I did want to ask you one thing about uh, your observation about, you know, especially before mass. Great if you have a, a parish that uh, uh, recites the rosary and prays the rosary before mass. But yeah, sometimes I guess us cradle Catholics, we've been in the game for a long time. We know the rosary is something that's important. We start rattling off the prayers because we just, we've said them for so many years. Mm-hmm. So we'll say those Hail Marys and it's uh, very robotic, like you said. What are some tools that you can share with our audience that can maybe take that that repetitious prayer uh, yeah. and and maybe not make it so, um, yeah, check in the box, making it robotic, but making it something that's really done out of devotion and love for the Blessed Virgin Mary and for Jesus as well. What are some things that we can we can work on to sharpen that up a little bit? Well, for me, the thing that's been helpful with that are the mysteries of the rosary. That's why I wrote that book, Unpacking right. the Mysteries of the Rosary, uh, because that to me is the key to not letting it become robotic because we're, we're, I love the fact that about the rosary, we're given something to do with our hands. Yes. Right. So it's, it's almost like a spiritual fidget spinner, right? We're like, we're like occupying ourselves here. So we're not doing all this other stuff, which I think is important. It's keeping us engaged with our, with our physical body. Um, Our soul is engaged because we're offering up these prayers to the Lord, but our mind is engaged because we're meditating on these mysteries, these events of of the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary and of Christ, these events in the, in the, in the life of the church that help us not just go, okay, well, that was a nice thing, but to enter in. That's what my book's about. It's about how do we enter in to what's going on in these mysteries so that the mysteries can enter into us as well, because it's a journey that we go on. This, this, this you know, journey around the, around the rosary, is it's like taking these steps with Christ. And when we allow ourselves to, to meditate on those mysteries, that can really be helpful. And I think that's the other thing too, is like, if you find yourself getting off focus, just recalibrate the next bead, recalibrate. Okay. Hold on. I got to get back on track here. The next, why is so much repetition? Why is so much repetition? Why 10? Probably because it probably because it's going to take at least 10, 10, uh, you know, Hail Marys to get one or two good ones because we're, we're so yes. like, okay, one, two, three, you know, so yeah. that's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, in our, just in our humanity, you know, we start to kind of get distracted. We lose focus sometimes. Right. So it's a, it gives us an yeah. opportunity to, to recalibrate. And for people that uh, I know this, this happens to me all the time, Keith, uh, you know, you're, you're praying all of a sudden you, you, you feel like you're in a good frame of mind. You're, meditating upon the mystery 
next thing you know, you're on the first or second beat. And then like a split second later, you're t- thinking about something about work or your family. And it's like, you're already saying the glory be, and you're like, Oh boy, that yeah. what happened there. Right. And they just, they vanished quickly. But I think it's important to not to get uh down heart, uh, downtrodden on something like this. Right. I mean, you know, God asked for us to have patience and perseverance in prayer too. Right. And we can 100%. find a lot of fruit in that and, and knowing that, uh, that it might not be perfect, but, but God and the Virgin Mary makes uh, shines things up for us and makes them better to present to Jesus on our behalf. So, yeah, yeah I want to say one more thing about that. Please, yep, that, that's a gr- that's a great point. You know, when someone says to me like, "Oh, I'm praying the Rosary, but I just don't feel any consolation, or just it's just yeah. a drag," you know, I say, "Praise God, hmm. praise God for that," because the Rosary isn't something you do because it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Okay, we might we might feel good when we pray the rosary we might be looking but but that it's not a means to an end okay the fact that you are struggling and you're persevering in prayer you've just added grace upon grace to what you're doing because you know you go to the gym you don't go to the gym because you are strong you yes. go to the gym to become strong and when it hurts that means you're pushing yourself the, the, the people who get strong in the gym aren't the ones who quit when it hurts they're the ones who push through that because that hurt shows that you're being developed, okay, physically. Same thing's true with your spiritual life. When you are encountering some kind of spiritual darkness or some kind of spiritual um, dullness and you push through that, that's when you have overcome more than when, oh, this is so great. I love it. It's awesome. Praise God for those moments. But when you're really struggling, and you're really having a hard time. And, you know, I'll tell you something, David. There have been times with my rosary when I've prayed an entire decade and I just stopped and said, I'm doing that one again. Mm-hmm. I was That was terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not do, I did not, I was not on track. I was not focused. I wasn't meditating on the mystery. I'm starting over. I've never done that live. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, you know, on, on the air. But I've done that many times just privately. All right, sure. I got to do this again. I got to do this again. Yeah. That That's what I'm talking about. That, that perseverance in prayer and pushing through. That's what makes saints, right? So a lot of this stuff's in my book. Check it out. Unpacking the mysteries of the rosary. I think you'll I think you'll love it if that's something that's interesting to you. 100%. It's an important devotion for all Catholics. And if we go back to Our Lady of Fatima, she asks us to pray the rosary every day. So it's important yeah. for us to be on the team. I want to ask you one more thing about just a family rosary. Sometimes it's difficult for uh, families that have uh, young children uh, mm-hmm. to... to uh, kind of pick a time to to sit down, have that prayer and devotion time and pray the rosary. But there's a lot of uh, great spiritual fruits if you can get your kids to be involved with that, to make that a part of their everyday routine. But is there some tips that you can share with our families out there that have some younger children that would like to participate in the rosary and how they can they can manage to do that uh, and keep their, <laughs> keep their sanity? Well, remember everything I just said about difficulty and perseverance, because <laughs> there, there's your opportunity right there. If the kids, are like, I don't want to do that, you know, persevering, persevering through that. But here's what I've noticed, okay? And I have a very limited perspective on this, but what I have seen is that families that, from a very young age, implement that into their daily life. This is not a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids will actually enjoy it. The kids will be like, "All right, it's time for the road." Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Kids want to be with mom and dad. Hmm. I know we don't think that when they get older, oh, they just want to get out of here. But when kids are little, they want to do whatever mom and dad are doing. Kids want to do it. You know, dad's out there in the in the in the garage 
tinkering with something. Where does the, where do the kids want to be? Hey, dad, can I help? Mm-hmm. You know, mom's in the kitchen making something. Where do the kids want to be? Oh, can I help? Like kids have this innate desire to want to be a part of whatever mom and dad are doing. So if mom and dad teach the kids that this is what we do, and here's the other part of it. If that's part of your family identity, this is what we do as a family. The kids want to be a part of that. So you have to establish that culture. You create the culture of your family. Otherwise, the world's going to create the culture for your family. You create that. Once you do that or when you do that, then it'll just be part of the routine. Because kids, kids, whether they like to admit it or not, they love structure and routine and security. That's what yes. brings them security is, this, is the routine of that. So if you create that, but that's the thing. You've got to be disciplined to create that. It can't be, oh, we're going to say we're going to do it, and then we don't do it. Or we're going to say we're going to do it, we do it for two days, then we don't do it. No, we have to make that a scheduled part of our day that we do as a family. So then once the kids know that's what we do, then even if they are like, oh, I don't want to do it, they just know this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Consistency and perseverance are the keys, but it will get easier the, the more you do it. It's important for moms and, but especially for dads to say, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And yeah. putting your, your foot down and saying, this is what we need to do. And I know you mentioned to me offline that you're a football fan. Maybe to use a football analogy, you know, the spiritual life, it can be like smash mouth football where it's like handing the ball off and just trying to gain a few yards at a time, right? It's not always yes, West yes. Coast offense and uh, fancy uh, razzle dazzle, long plays down the field, long passes. Uh, it's, uh, it's nice to have Jerry Rice in your uh, lineup and, and going deep and getting touchdowns all the time, but the spiritual life can be more like, uh, like a Jerome Bettis type thing where you just oh, absolutely. run it down it the is. middle and, and trying to grind it out. Right. And, uh, but it's ultimately getting us, uh, moving us down the field. That's the most important thing. Amen. Keith, this has been a, a fantastic time. I, I really, really loved it a lot. I hope you can come up to Alberta. Uh, you said you I would haven't love been up to. here before. We'd love to have you up here sometime. I would love to do that. Yeah, that, thank you so much, David. Tell us a little bit again, just about your your ministries. How people can get a hold of you if they uh, want to check out some of the the great resources that you have. Well, my website is downtoearthministry.org, and the two is the number two. So down the number two earthministry.org. Um, I'm very active on YouTube. I have two YouTube channels, just Keith Nestor, and on that channel, I do a lot of different things. But I have a weekly. Bible study called Unpacking the Mass, where we walk through the the readings for the upcoming week. Mm-hmm. That comes out every Thursday on YouTube. Um, that's also a podcast you can listen to wherever podcasts are found. That's where a Catholic feedback is, where I talk about different Catholic topics and interview guests and things like that at times. Then I have the Rosary Crew with Keith Nestor YouTube channel, and that's where we pray the Rosary every day, 5 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday, and then the weekends we do it earlier in the day. Um I'm also on Instagram at Keith Nestor Catholic, Twitter at Keith Nestor One, um, Facebook, everywhere, you know, except TikTok. I don't do that. Um, But you can find us there. That's fantastic. It's all all great places to track you down, Keith. Thanks again for your your great witness and uh, being a brother in Christ. It's great to have you in the the spiritual battle with us as we we do our smash mouth football and just move that ball down the field. It's great to have you on the team. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. Well, big thanks again to Keith Nestor for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Again, his website, downtoearthministry.org. Two is the number two. And check out Keith's uh, fantastic YouTube channel. So much great content there. And if you need some encouragement in praying the rosary every day, be on our team, praying that rosary every day and you need a little bit of help. Well, Keith prays it every day 
on his YouTube channel and he's got a whole team of people that are praying it as well. So you will definitely will not be alone if you need that extra support. So thanks again to Keith. Yeah, that was a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Well, thank you for listening to the Catholic Connect podcast, my friends. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter or whatever they're calling Twitter now. I guess it's X now. And uh, drop me a line anytime. I love hearing from you. And subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your fine pods, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, we're all over the place. So thank you for your support. And drop me a line anytime. Say hello. I love talking to you, whether you're a Catholic or not, whether you're from Canada or not. Love talking to you. Love hearing from you. And I love taking this journey to heaven with you. I wanted to leave you with a, a passage from scripture from our good friend, John Chick. He put this up on his social media a couple days ago, and I thought I'd read it really quick. So this is from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter five. St. Paul says, for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. So what a timely message from St. Paul. And for us to live a life of virtue and not vice. And to love one another and not use one another. Taking that freedom that Jesus has given us, but not taking advantage of it with a life of sin and debauchery. But a life of love, of self-giving love in our vocation. Whether that's to our spouse, our children, grandchildren, priests and religious whether we're a single person still discerning the will of God, what direction God wants to take us. Every day there's a new mission and a new hurdle that we need to climb, but renewed grace from God to make sure that we have the grace that we need to overcome all of our difficulties at the right time. And we need to ask the Blessed Virgin Mary. As Catholics, we need to ask her. It's a special feast day. We talk about the, uh, the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary into heaven body and soul. She lived a life of perfection and of pure love for Jesus. And now for us, because we're her children too. She is our mother. So let's ask her for her intercession and to help us to do whatever Jesus tells us to do. You know, a priest friend of mine just recently told me uh, a sporting analogy of someone that's a professional athlete that's up in the booth, that's sitting out all the time. There's not much that they can do up in the press box. They can't help their team out of the playing field or on that playing hockey surface. You need to be on the field at all times. And when we're not living in a state of grace or living life in sin, we take ourselves out of this game. We take ourselves out of life and we take ourselves out of those opportunities to really make an impact on our families and our friends and our community and bringing the light of Jesus Christ to them. So I encourage you, my Catholic brothers and sisters, that uh, not only do I encourage, I implore you, please go to confession often so that we can be a true beacon of light to other people in this confused and hurting world. Let's stay in that right relationship with Jesus and go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.